Welcome to Kindreds, a podcast for soul sisters. I'm Ashley Peterson. And I'm Katie Zay. We're kindred spirits talking all things faith, feminism, and friendship from our homes in the South. Hey, Katie. Hey, Ashley. How are you? I'm good. I'm really, really good. I'm excited to share with our folks what we've been up to. Yeah, same here. And as everyone might have seen, we just launched our Kindred's Picks. How do you feel about that? I love it. I love talking extra with you, so it's (laughs) perfect for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, any excuse to talk and to keep sharing the things that we love with people. So Kindred's Picks is our newest project where we are discussing some of our favorite recommendations that we just didn't have time to get to in our regular episode. And we hope you all liked our very first one. We will keep doing them as long as we've got stuff to talk about. And we'll just go ahead and disclaim that some of the picks will be strongly related to the episode that came before it, and some will just be things we love, things that are going on, and that we just want to share with you. So should we get started today? Yeah, absolutely. We have um, a really tough but important topic that we're going to discuss today, Um, one that I know weighs heavily on your heart and has been Mm -hmm. heavy on mine too, and that is the topic of reproductive loss. Um, We know this is something that many of our listeners have experienced, Mm -hmm. and as common as it is, we don't always have the ability to talk about it um, and to be heard and supported in the ways that we need. So we hope that this episode will be informative and instructive, but also healing and affirming. Mm -hmm. We want to speak both to those who have personally experienced a loss and to those who might be in a position of supporting a person or a couple or a family experiencing a loss. And that's really all of us because this is so common. Even if you don't necessarily know, there are people in your life who have gone through this, who are going through it and will go through it. Yep. That's so important. And I want to start off by saying that I have not personally experienced a loss, but I have journeyed alongside others in my life who have. And I've been grateful to be there for people and I've learned a lot from them about how to show up in times of loss and grief. And I'm glad to be able to share that today. We should also probably say that we'll be speaking frankly about some tough topics related to the spectrum of reproductive loss, but we will be talking more in generalities. We won't be sharing any like specific people's stories or details, just in case that's something you're worried about on today's episode. Yes, thank you for saying that. Uh, and like you, I haven't experienced a personal reproductive loss, but I have lots of loved ones who have. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're creating this episode out of that love that we have for the people in our lives, for our listeners who are going through this, um, and for just yeah. everybody who's experienced a loss. So on our show, we usually try to start by defining what it is we're talking mm-hmm. about. And usually when I'm doing the research on this, I'm overwhelmed by how many good definitions there are. <laughs> But in this case, there really was not a great definition that I could find that was Mm. inclusive of the full range, as you were talking about, of reproductive loss. And I actually came across a lot of anti-choice stuff. And so that was definitely not going to work. And so Mm. I thought, well, I could rely on other people to try to define it, or I could just try my own definition. Mm. Um, And so I got some input from friends and colleagues, and here's what I came up with. All right. Reproductive loss is an inclusive term for any experience of grief in a person's life related to their reproductive health, their fertility, the outcomes of a pregnancy, or the creation or care of their family. Mm. Reproductive loss includes experiences of miscarriage, stillbirth, infertility, 
adoption, abortion, surrogacy, sterilization, and loss of a child. So what do you think? I love that. I think that too often we think about reproductive loss and we jump straight to miscarriage Mm -hmm. and we just don't think about all the other things that that can mean. And there are a lot more ways that people can experience loss. And I love that you named so many. And I would say if any of you are listening and you feel like something is missing from Mm -hmm. that, please send us an email at team at kindredspodcast.com because we really do want to create the most expansive and inclusive Mm -hmm. definition possible. So reproductive loss is a lot of different things and Mm -hmm. no two experiences are the same. And I think that that's really important and we'll get into the importance of allowing individual people to name their experiences. But Mm -hmm. before we get into that, I want to share just a little bit of information about reproductive loss before we talk about how to support people. So we know, and you've already said, reproductive loss is really common. One in four U.S. women will have had an abortion by the time she turns 45. Hmm. Up to one in four pregnancies end in miscarriage. And about 10% of all couples experience some form of infertility. So we're talking about a lot of people and maybe are experiencing multiple forms of reproductive loss at different times mm-hmm. in their lives. And we also know that reproductive loss isn't discussed nearly enough. And we've talked about this with other issues, but... Our reproductive lives are so often just kept under the radar. They're made invisible, they're ignored, and they're silenced. And so there's, one, a lack of information, which Mm -hmm. means people don't know what can happen to them or how it might happen and what the complications might be and what they might feel as a result. And because it's not talked about, even if we know that it happens a lot, there's the shaming that happens and silencing around all these different aspects of our reproductive lives. And that includes more than just reproductive loss. That's like puberty and our periods and pregnancy, um, abortion, miscarriage, childbirth, Mm -hmm. infertility, and menopause, I've also heard. Yeah. (laughs) So we cover up this stuff for the most part and feel like we have to hide it because it's not socially or culturally accepted to talk about. Does that ring true for you? Yeah, it does. And it makes me think about how the traditionally you don't tell anybody you're pregnant until your first trimester is over. Because if you lose the pregnancy, you don't want to have to go back and talk about that with people. And I know that there are, I mean, I've had some friends who were like, you know, forget that. I'm going to tell people. And if we lose the pregnancy, they're going to be on that journey with us too. Right. And so that choice to talk about it. But also, I understand the choice not to, especially mm-hmm. if you've experienced a loss before. And yeah, it's so you tough. You just don't want to deal with other people's thoughts and feelings about it. It's really tough and it's really individual. But that's kind of what I think about in this like we just are silenced really yeah like we only want to hear the best possible outcome we don't want to hear about any of the other possibilities yeah which just creates more isolation Mm -hmm. we also know reproductive loss is extremely personal and I think it's so important for us to allow people to define the loss for themselves you know for some people an abortion might not feel like a loss For others, Mm -hmm. it is. Um, Mm -hmm. For some, early miscarriage is the loss of a beloved baby. And for others, it's not. And I think what we should be most concerned about is caring for people who are hurting and -hmm. learning how to support them rather than adding to their grief and pain. So what do you think about that? I think that is spot on. And there's something that I want to talk about that I think is important to name And it's a problem I see sometimes in the, quote, pro-choice movement. You just mentioned that for some people, abortion is a loss, and for others, it's not. And it's the same with early miscarriage. For some, it's a loss. For some, it's not. And 
I think that the pro-choice movement doesn't always make room for people who grieve the loss of a pregnancy, no matter how the pregnancy ends. It's like there's sometimes this rush to pretend that a loss of life didn't occur. Mm -hmm. And what I love about the definition you gave above and what you said about reproductive loss being extremely personal is that it makes room for the range of people's actual experiences. Because I don't know if you've heard this, but I have heard from people who have experienced a loss or had a miscarriage that they've felt really alienated in pro-choice spaces when people minimize that, like it's not a big deal. It's not something worth grieving. And that is really not okay. You know, it's not okay. And I have heard the same thing. And I think if our movements don't allow space for people to name their Mm -hmm. experiences in the way that's authentic to them and to fully express their emotions, whatever they are, then Mm -hmm. how are we actually working towards liberation and healing if we're we're asking people to silence their pain? Um, I think we're just creating an unhelpful litmus test that makes people Mm -hmm. feel more isolated and like their experiences don't matter. Or even worse, that they're actually harmful to the movement. Right, Um, right. That's really problematic. So I know we're going to talk about how to support people through their loss, but one really important thing to keep in mind is that everybody gets to name their experience and call it what it feels true to them. And we need to affirm that and honor the diversity. Yep, absolutely. So in preparing for this episode, a few friends in my life were generous enough to share their experiences with me and talk about some of the things that people said and did that were helpful and some of the things that people said and did that hurt, especially during that really intense time of grief and struggle when they're really in it. And so I wanted to share some of that today without naming anybody specifically. So let's start with the things that hurt. And then we can talk about the things we can do and say instead. And I want to preface this by saying we have probably all said or done one or more of the things on this list. We are all human and we don't have a good handle on death and grief in our culture, first of all. Death and grief and loss in general, yeah, it's uncomfortable, it's scary, we don't know what to say in the moment, we don't know how to show up for people, and so we just kind of fumble along, and that's, that's okay. When you think about it, we have a lot of easy platitudes for when a person dies, you know, we can say they're in a better place now, or they lived a full life, and they were such a good person, but we don't, those things don't really work in these situations where we didn't, you know, it was, it was a soul that nobody really knew. And so we, we don't have those easy things to reach for, Mm -hmm. but what is important to remember and to focus on, I think is that having compassion and empathy, what that really means is listening when someone tells us what they need and trying to make space for that and not impose our own ideas or judgments or needs on them. Yes. So that's how I'm thinking about this. And with that in mind, here's a few things that I've, I've heard from some friends about what not to say. So to someone dealing especially with infertility, saying relax, stop stressing, and it'll just happen. Have you heard that one? Yes. Yeah. There is really no purpose in telling someone what to do or how to feel. And a friend of mine raised a really good point that we all have that friend or that story of someone in our circle who got pregnant the minute they stopped trying, right? Everybody's got that story. But for every one of those stories, there's probably a lot of other stories where it didn't work out that way. But we don't hear those stories because those aren't the those people aren't sharing that and 
we're not celebrating that. And so those aren't the stories that we hear. Telling someone to just relax and stop stressing out and it'll just happen. I mean, that's not really how it works. (laughs) So it's not helpful. It's definitely not. And you don't know what's causing their infertility. It could be something like endometriosis, which there's no amount of relaxation that's going to change that. Exactly. Exactly. So to someone dealing with other kinds of loss, kind of bringing in the, it's not meant to be, it's not God's plan, it's not God's timing. This, yeah, this is problematic. It can feel like a safe thing to reach for when we just are struggling for something to say because it's kind of vague and it sounds kind of like just trust that God has a plan for you and that kind of thing. But I think that's what also makes it painful because it kind of pits what you want for your life against what God wants for your life as though those are two different things. Mm, That's a good point. Yeah. And so it kind of positions God as some kind of villain in your story or some kind of obstacle in your story. Mm -hmm. Also, who are you to know what God thinks or does? Right. (laughs) Somebody else. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. And to someone who has lost a pregnancy – saying that at least now you know you can conceive and you can just try again. That is something doctors say, especially. And in the medical sense, that might be true. It might be partially true. But it also diminishes this loss. Like, let's not worry about the what's going to happen next. This is the loss that I'm grieving right now. And it apl- implies that moving on or trying again is just the simple thing. Oh, now you can conceive. So just try again. But that can be really difficult after a loss, and it can be really expensive if fertility treatments are involved. So, like, trying again is not just this simple thing. Yeah, and, like, there's no particular emotional experience connected to that pregnancy. Right. Like, as if that doesn't matter. Like, oh, you can just replace that pregnancy with the next one as if they're interchangeable. And I've heard that's also a really unhelpful attitude to have because – yep. Even in early pregnancy, folks can feel a bond or imagine what their life will be like with that potential child. So it's not helpful to just say, oh, we can just like forget about that one and get a new one. Yeah. Listen, I've heard that same argument made for why you should have more than one child. What? Wouldn't you want to have more like... Instead of putting all your hopes and dreams on one child, what if you lose that child? Kids are not interchangeable. Oh, my goodness. I swear. So I think that kind of goes into the next thing I was going to say about you don't know a person's reproductive story just by looking at them or Mm. based on the number of children they currently have. So really, it's important to be mindful when talking to a pregnant person. When I was pregnant, this was kind of a weird thing that happened. Someone, not a medical professional or somebody that was participating in my medical care, asked me, kind of out of the blue, in front of a group of people, if this was my first pregnancy. Which, I guess, is kind of an innocuous question, but that person knew that I didn't have children, and I had never been pregnant before in front of them, and so really that question was loaded. Yeah. Because if I'd had a previous pregnancy that didn't result in a child, that if I'd had an abortion or a miscarriage, that might have been a really violating question. So just be kind of careful with questions like that. So Katie, do you have anything to add to the what not to do or say list? I think you really covered it, but I think don't say anything that arises from a reactionary place that's more about dealing with your own discomfort Mm -hmm. of someone else's suffering Yeah, and isn't intended for to affirm the emotional experience of the person. So like anything that comes up, maybe just take a deep breath, 
maybe pause, think about why you're saying it. Yeah. And this applies to more than just reproductive loss. This is just like dealing with people's grief mm-hmm. and pain in general. So you can apply this to a number of situations. Yeah. Along these lines, I found this article that's actually back from 2013 in the LA Times that has been making the rounds again. Um, as articles tend to do, they tend to have a second life uh, on the internet, mm-hmm. but it's called How Not to Say the Wrong Thing. And it's, I think it's specifically about someone who has been diagnosed with breast cancer. And I've heard there's a lot of the same kinds of things mm-hmm. said to people who have a cancer diagnosis, like trying to fix it or, you know, talk about God and what God's doing in the situation. Mm-hmm. But I really liked this quote in particular. Listening is often more helpful than talking, but if you're going to open your mouth, ask yourself if what you're about to say is likely to provide comfort and support. If it isn't, don't Mm -hmm. say it. Don't, for example, give advice. People are suffering from trauma, don't need advice. They need comfort and support. So say, I'm sorry, or this must be really hard for you, or can I bring you a pot roast? Mm -hmm. Don't say, you should hear what happened to me, or here's what I would do if I were you, and don't say, this is really bringing me down. Oh, Lord. Basically, even if you're feeling that way, like that is a legit way to feel when you're supporting someone sure. to feel, especially if you're empathetic, right? You're going to feel their feelings. Mm-hmm. But in the moment, put your needs to the side. You're going to tend to them later, but really center the person hurting. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that I've learned in supporting folks, I know you're going to talk about this too, is offer really specific things you mm-hmm. can do to help them. And that can be logistical Can I bring you a meal? Can I take your dogs on a walk? Mm -hmm. Um, It can be more um, theological and spiritual. Can I help you design a ritual around this loss? Or can I just come sit with you so you don't have to be by yourself? Like offering specific things and letting them say yes or no Mm -hmm. is often a better offer than just saying, let me know what I can do for you. Because it asks the person to assess what their needs are mm-hmm. during a time when they're already overwhelmed and don't know what they need and don't know what will be helpful. But sometimes offering specific things can help them decide, oh, what I actually need is this. So that's something that I try to do when people are going through tough times. Mm-hmm. I heard that echoed a lot in the experiences of my friends. And something else they shared is that just physically being there can often be a comfort. And like you said, being there in specific ways, offering to bring them lunch and sit and eat with them. And then, you know, you can let them talk or not and let them lead the conversation and just be there to listen if that's what they need. And then something else that was mentioned was offering to go to their medical appointments with them, Mm. especially if you know they're scared and if they're triggered by going back to the OB, especially if they don't have a partner who's able to go with them, like just offering to go to their appointments with them is a big deal. You can just sit in the waiting room while they go in by themselves. But that's something that was told to me was helpful. And then something I've also heard, I heard this in a training that we'll talk about in our kindreds of the moment, but is to mirror the language that a person uses to talk about their loss. So if a person refers to their loss as a baby, call it a baby. If a person calls it a fetus or an embryo, call it a fetus or an embryo. Don't try to correct the way someone talks about their own experience or sort of impose your language on them. Just mirror the language that that they use when you're talking about it with them. And then this one might be a bit harder to talk about, but this advice is specifically for pregnant people. If you're pregnant, it's especially important to be sensitive to the people in your life who are dealing with a loss or struggling to conceive. Mm -hmm. Something I've heard a lot for a person, especially dealing with infertility, 
it's really complicated and difficult whenever somebody in their life or their friend group gets pregnant easily. And it can often seem like everybody in their life or on Facebook is getting pregnant all the time with no trouble. And there's just a lot of mixed emotions. And I want to remind people, like, it's possible to be both happy for your friend who gets pregnant and really sad for your own situation. You don't, Mm -hmm. it's not always one or the other. So going to baby showers can be difficult. Seeing a lot of ultrasounds and bump pictures can be hard. And it's not to say that if you're pregnant, you can't celebrate that publicly or like you've got to be worried about inviting people to your baby shower. It just means that especially if there's somebody in your life who's close to you that you know who's struggling, ask them first. If they want Mm -hmm. to see your ultrasound pics, your pregnancy pics, your baby pics, like just ask first Mm -hmm. and maybe um, be mindful when you're sharing on Facebook, like how often you're doing it and how you're doing it, you know? Yeah, that's, that's really good. Yeah. And just like, if they can't come to your baby shower, don't take that personally. No, do not take it personally. I've actually talked to a number of friends who struggled while they are struggling with infertility, feeling badly about not being there for their friends who are pregnant. And what I always Mm -hmm. tell them is, look, you do not have to be that person's primary support right now. Maybe in another stage of life, you will be for some Mm -hmm. other thing, but don't feel obligated to be the person who journeys alongside them. You can come back. Your friendship can come back once you're through this, but take that off of your plate. And I would almost say, if you are the pregnant person and you know this, like, be proactive mm-hmm. and name the fact that this must be hard for that person. Yes. Give them an opportunity to share without guilt. Like it's obvious that there's a difference there. There's a tension there. And I think if you can actively create space for that mm-hmm. person to talk about it, that would go a long way because they're probably suffering already with their infertility and they're struggling with how to be your friend. Yep. So give them an out. Yep. Give them an out and like I think that might be one of the kindest things that you could do. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that is so right. The last suggestion that I have was a book that was recommended to me by another friend called There is No Good Card for This, What to Say and Do When Life is Scary, Awful, and Unfair to the People You Love by Emily McDowell. Mm -hmm. Have you ever Mm -hmm. seen her greeting cards? Yes. (laughs) They're so wonderful. I looked up a few so I could, if people aren't familiar with her line of greeting (laughs) cards, um, But they are just really straight to the point. So there's one that says, please let me be the first to punch the next person who says to you that things happen for a reason. (laughs) That's literally with the front of the card. And then there's another one that just says, I know this day really sucks for you. I'm thinking of you. Mm -hmm. And the last one I'll share is, if this is God's plan, God is a terrible planner. (laughs) I love it. You can go to her website. um, Just Google Emily McDowell. I can't remember the exact name of the website, but the tagline on the website is greeting cards and gifts for the relationships we really have, which I just, I love that because I think, you know, a lot of our like Emily Post type etiquette about relationships is kind of for these fake relationships that don't really (laughs) exist or relationships that are surface level, you know, and when, but when it's real people in your life who you love and you've been through it with, like you can say this stuff, you can swear if that's what they need. That's, that's how we show up in just the mess of life with people is just being real. So I recommend this book. The great thing about it is there are lists of things not to say and then things that you should say instead. So that's my I suggestion. I wonder if she's got some cards that would 
deal specifically with this or maybe just some of the this is terrible and mm-hmm. I'm I'm with you. So maybe that's a tactile thing that you can do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for folks is buy one of those cards and send them. Yep, exactly. Um what you were just describing reminds me a little bit of Kate Bowler's book, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. <laughs> and she's diagnosed with stage four cancer. Mm. Um, and she basically just says, like, sometimes endings are just endings. Mm. Mm-hmm. There's no tying things up with a nice bow. Sometimes endings just suck. And we have to be okay with the tension of that. Yeah. Um, but I think even if that's the case, there are ways to honor and remember the losses in a way that's meaningful. So that could be some kind of ritual. You know, we talk about spirituality on this podcast and rituals can be completely Mm -hmm. what you want them to Mm -hmm. be. They can be public. They can be private. They can be elaborate. They can be very short. And as I was looking for some some ideas for rituals, I came across the work of a woman named Elizabeth Bouchard, I think is how you pronounce it, who I think actually lives not far from me. Mm. Um, She's a fertility coach, yoga instructor, health and wellness coach. She's done like a million things. So she brings a lot of different kinds of understanding Mm -hmm. to the table. And she also studied religion undergrad. So she's got a very like intersectional way of looking at this and struggled with infertility herself. Mm. But I loved how what she talked about her work. She said, I believe in considering the full context of an individual's life experience when addressing fertility. I believe that family history matters, that the experience of racial injustice and other forms of discrimination matters, that past pregnancies, losses, and terminations matter. And she goes on and on. Mm. So she's really like trying to approach this in a holistic way. And she wrote a blog post about rituals around reproductive loss. And she said, I've come to believe that grief rituals matter after pregnancy loss. Rituals matter because our grief matters and because tangible, open acknowledgement of our grief is essential to Mm. healing. Mm -hmm. Grief about a pregnancy loss is always valid, no matter how or when it occurred, and no matter what other emotions we may be experiencing about the loss. So I just really liked that Mm -hmm. framing. I do too. You know, like, it's for everybody. um, And you don't have to be religious in any specific sense to do a ritual. You can make it and mark it however is meaningful to you. And so she has a couple of ideas, and we'll link to this, but some that I liked She said, create an altar in your home to honor a loss Mm. or honor your baby. Um, Hold a grief ceremony. And she's got a link to a framework that can be helpful. Um, You could wear a piece of jewelry that honors your loss. Mm -hmm. Um, Taking note of anniversaries that are significant to you. So maybe the due date of that pregnancy of that baby would be useful for you. Or even something like planting a tree. Just something that will be meaningful so that that loss doesn't feel like it's forgotten. Mm -hmm. But that you remember... um, and maybe the other people will remember too. So you don't feel like you're so alone. Mm-hmm. What do you think of those? I love all of those. And it just reminded me, there was a blogger that I followed who lost a, um, a late pregnancy actually. And she got a tattoo of her baby's name. And I just thought mm. that was so beautiful. Yeah. I think what you said about wearing a piece of jewelry or doing, just doing something physical to like honor that life, I just think is really beautiful. Yeah. I'm really glad we had this conversation and I hope Me that too. people feel heard and seen and maybe a little bit more informed on, on how to walk alongside people who are dealing with this and maybe, yeah, feel less afraid of what that can look like and really know we're all equipped to do this. Yeah. We just have the right mindset and the right things um, in our toolbox. Mm -hmm. We can all really help people through these experiences. So yeah, 
let us know if this resonates with you or if there are things that maybe we missed and we yep. can talk about in a future episode. Because again, Ashley and I are coming at this from a different perspective than folks who've personally experienced this. So we'd yep. love to just chat with you about it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Just invite people to, yeah, if we if we got something wrong, please let us know. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> So we're going to change gears and talk about what we're reading and listening to. Oh, yeah. Mine is what are you? Totally off topic, but it's... Mine is too. <laughs> I think we need some levity. <laughs> yeah, I think it's fine. So people might remember that I did the Book Riot Read Harder Challenge in 2017, I think it was. Yes. It was super early in our podcasting days. Well, I haven't been able to do it since then because I had a baby <laughs> and <laughs> reading <Fair. laughs> it just wasn't happening. But I decided to pick it back up again this year. I will admit that I don't think I finished it, finished it, like read every book in every category when I did it in 2017. But that's not really my goal. My goal is is specifically to just expand my reading experience. And so mm-hmm. for this category, I'm reading a book in any genre by a native First Nations or indigenous author. Oh, awesome. Very cool. So the uh, book I chose is called Sacred Wilderness by Susan Power who is a member of the Standing Rock Sioux. This is what the synopsis says. A clan mother story for the 21st century, Sacred Wilderness explores the lives of four women of different eras and backgrounds who come together to restore foundation to a mixed-up, mixed-blood woman, a woman who had been living the American dream and found it a great maw of emptiness. Mm, That sounds so good. It is really good. So I'm only maybe a third of the way through right now. So I guess I should say I don't I don't know how it's gonna end. <laughs> but you recommend the first third. <laughs> I do. I recommend the first third. I'm finding it delightful. So there's a lot of magical realism happening. There's there's this whole storyline where um, the Virgin Mary, in the form of Our Lady of Guadalupe, she's called Maryam in the book. She has appeared to one of the characters in current day Minneapolis. I think this book was written in like 2014, 2015. So there is so there's a scene where Maryam follows this character to Whole Foods. <laughs> and she's there to like help uh this character through a major life transition and this character right now can see her but is ignoring her because she doesn't want to deal with it. <laughs> so she's just like following her around to be there if she needs her and then she follows her to Whole Foods and like walks around sampling fruit. <laughs> <laughs> in the produce section and I just I love it I was laughing out loud at this because of just how lovely that image is to me you and I have talked before about how we love the idea of having our ancestors or spirit guides more present in our lives in an active way like just the idea of that and what that feels like and that's what this book is like for me is exploring the way that other spiritual traditions besides the ones you and I have grown up in, you know, the Christian faith doesn't really play with this idea a whole lot or the Protestant Christian faith that, that we mm-hmm. understand. It doesn't play with this whole idea a lot. So um, I just really like exploring how other traditions think about ancestry and spirit guides and, and how they show up for us in our lives. So that is Sacred Wilderness by Susan Power. I love just the seed, like the comic nature of this guy this spirit guide or um ancestor just being like okay you're not gonna listen to me i'm gonna enjoy myself yeah. while 
And it's just not taking it so seriously. Yeah. Like, if they have a sense of humor, it just seems much more relatable than some of the other um, kind of spiritual framings I've heard about those folks. And just thinking, like, yes. they're, you know, they're just hanging out. Yeah. Um, so how did you find that book? Was it in the Book Riot list? Or did you have to do some research to find one? Because that seems like a very... It is kind of I haven't heard of it. Was it obscure? Like, hard to find? <laughs> kind of. So... On usually, uh, so what Book Riot does along with every category is they'll offer a list of like, here's some that we liked that fit this category if you're struggling to find one. Mm -hmm. So this book, I just kind of randomly clicked on and then, but I couldn't find it in my library. I ordered a used copy on Amazon. I want to say, I don't have the book sitting in front of me, but I think it's an independent press, like a university press. Oh, wow. So that really is obscure. I mean, I guess like it's on, you can order it on Amazon, so it's not like I had to go anywhere crazy to find it but yeah the author went through the Iowa Writers Workshop and has written Mm. like got her MFA that way and that is how she's written a few of her books and so yeah I mean unfortunately that's kind of the way it works in our publishing industry though with people of color right they are not picked up by the huge publishing houses as often our publishing industry heavily favors white male authors and then white female authors and so folks that aren't those things do usually have to go through different channels to get their work out there so I kind of knew that this one would be a little bit harder because I've read work by indigenous authors before but like I didn't want to read Sherman Alexie again. Um, he was somebody that I read in 2017 and I didn't. So, you know, I was kind of trying to push those boundaries a little bit too. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely link to that. So yes. people can look and see what's on the list. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel inspired. I want to, I want to read that and see what else is I on I can the send list. it to you when I'm done for sure. Okay, cool. So I'm also going to switch gears and talk about music because yes. I don't know about you, but for the last few years, I feel like I've really just been listening to podcasts all the time. And I'd kind of forgotten about what it feels like to just sit and listen to an album mm, from beginning to end. Yeah. And I've reclaimed that because music really impacts the way I feel. I think a lot of people mm-hmm. experience that. Like it can just totally make my mood. If I'm having a bad day, I could put on some music and my spirit is lifted. Mm-hmm. And so I saw that um, Kesha has a new album out. Yes. And <laughs> if you listen to our Kindred's end of 2019 playlist celebration, I think it's called, mm-hmm. or celebration, end of 2019 celebration playlist on Spotify, which is so good, by the way. It's so awesome. Mm -hmm. You should go look it up. Uh, But her song on there, Raising Hell, uh, is awesome and totally irreverent and just a powerful song. So she's got a new album out called High Road, and it's delightful. I was listening to it this morning while I was taking a shower, and it was just this instant mood booster. Um, And next week, Ashley and I, for the first time in almost two years, will physically be in the same place. I know. I'm so excited. (laughs) And I'm like, we have to have a dance party to this because it is so good. Um, And just to make like a tiny connection to the spiritual realm, she's got this song in the end called Summer. And she says, every time I feel the spirit, I remember we were fearless. And like, I just love that little line of like, when we remember who we really are, we let all of those barriers and we embrace our power and we go for it. So yeah. I love Kesha. I feel like she is awesome. Didn't Kesha <laughs> come up in like the Christian genre maybe like as a child? I, I feel like she's I from Nashville. That. And I think she came up in that kind of Nashville country contemporary Christian world before going pop. I'm pretty sure. I could be way I, wrong. You know, a lot of pop singers do that. Yeah. Well, Katy Perry um, I know, did that. Katy Perry. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. So yeah. 
that that makes it even more interesting. Well, she's definitely turned that on its on its side, yeah. and I'm here for I it. I am too. <laughs> I am here. I am here as well. All right. All right. You're up for our kindred of the moment. Yes. Okay. So this. <laughs> I felt a little weird about this, but I think it's going to be fine. <laughs> Katie, I want to lift up the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice as kindreds of Aww. the moment. And I know that is your organization, but <laughs> RCRC really is a model for what it looks like to show up for people where they are. And in particular, I want to recognize the training that RCRC offers called Compassionate Care for Reproductive Decisions and Loss. I have had the opportunity to both attend this training and host a few in Mississippi for clergy and other people who work in caring professions. So that's like social workers, um, nurses, hospital chaplains, like lawyers, clinic defense, yeah, people, folks that work in clinics. And it is hugely informative and powerful, especially for people who find themselves in the position to offer care or comfort for families who are making tough reproductive decisions or who are experiencing a loss of some kind. So participants learn how to be, this is what's cool about it. You learn to be a supportive, non-judgmental presence for people who are making decisions about pregnancy. And that can be really hard to do. We've heard from a lot of clergy that they don't get a lot of training in this. Mm -mm. They don't really get training in like reproductive health at all and the different things that a family can go through and they don't really get trained on how to show up for that family and offer the kind of like non-judgmental support that they need. Mm-hmm. And that's where compassionate care is really beneficial. So I don't know if there's, if you have anything you want to add about that and make sure people know. Well, just on a personal note, it was 15 years ago. We're talking 2005 when I started seminary, these trainings that they offered were my introduction to the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice. And really mm. the first time in my seminary education that I felt like I got material that I could apply yes. to the real experiences of, of people's lives. And I was hungry for that in seminary mm-hmm. where it's all very like intellectual and pretty removed. And I just felt like, oh, now I have some skills to actually be there for people. And it obviously has led to me now leading the organization, but I'm still very grateful for the foundation that it's given me. And I feel like it's allowed me to be that compassionate presence for folks. So if you're interested in learning more, you can go to rcrc.org. We have, uh, we're updating our website, but I think the page is live now about what the compassionate care trainings are. And just one thing that we're discussing is how to take those trainings into a virtual space Mm -hmm. because they're traditionally in person, which can sometimes be hard for folks. So just stay tuned. You can sign up for updates um, or send us an email and I can certainly give you more Mm -hmm. information. But I'm really grateful for that program and all of the people over the years who have helped make it what it is, especially this most up-to-date version where it's really inclusive of all folks who interface with these people. It doesn't just have to be clergy. Anybody can provide spiritual care if you know what to say and you have the background you need. So Mm -hmm. even if you're not a religious leader in the traditional sense, you can still be that compassionate spiritual presence for someone going through a tough time. Yeah. And I mean, I'll just put this out there. We, uh, if this is something that you're really interested in participating in, please do send us an email because if there is a training near you in Mississippi, we're planning to host one, maybe more this year. And so if you're close to Mississippi and can get yourself here, like you'd be welcome to attend. And I think that that would be true in other, in other places as well. Like Katie said, the curriculum itself is, is a bit in transition going from in-person to virtual. But um, if this is something that you're interested in, 
let us know and we can at the very least like keep you posted absolutely yep all right well that is it for this episode be on the lookout for our kindred's picks in a few weeks and on our next full episode we're going to talk about relationships, soulmates, and singleness, which will be a lot of fun. <laughs> talk <laughs> to it. you then. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening. You can find us on our website, kindredspodcast.com. That's kindreds with an S. Or you can send us an email at team at kindredspodcast.com. You can also follow me, Katie, on Twitter at Katie Zay. That's Katie with an E-Y-Z-E-H. Please send us your thoughts, ideas, and questions. We'd love to hear from you.